John said to him, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. But Jesus said, Do not stop him, for no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. For the one who is not against us is for us. For truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. That far we read from God's word. There's a connection to the third commandment this evening, uh, just as there was this morning, not taking the Lord's name in vain, so start to watch for that. But first, notice the irony as we transition from the previous passage to tonight's passage. If you look back to verse 37, you'll see that Jesus had just finished telling the disciples that they need to receive people in his name. These words were still hanging in the air. They were so freshly stated when a disciple told the teacher, now in verse 38, that the disciples had rejected someone and tried to stop him. So the previous lesson defined greatness as dying to ourselves, serving others, receiving people, receiving people as they would welcome a child, and Jesus had an actual child there as an object lesson. Why? Because our Lord says they would welcome the child in my name. Again, think of the third commandment, the Lord's name, and how Jesus says here, in my name is how you should welcome this child. Then we move to tonight's passage, 38 through 41. There's three more times, so then for a total of four times, that the phrase, in my name, or an equivalent, will happen. So I showed you the first, in verse 37. Now let's look at the second instance, verse 38, where the disciples said to Jesus that they saw someone casting out demons in your name. That's the second one. The third one is in verse 39, where our Lord said, No one does a mighty work in my name. Who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. And the fourth instance is in verse 41, where our Lord did not actually say the same phrase, but rather substituted it with a phrase that means nearly the same thing when he wrote or spoke, you belong to Christ. So I'll read verse 41. Truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ. So four instances in all of our verses tell us that this is something to watch, right? Our entire passage has to do with the Lord's name, in my name. It has to do with something that's on the same topic topic of the third commandment, the name of the Lord. We welcome people in the Lord's name. It's different from the scribes and the Pharisees who were around Jesus, who were very protective, very exclusive, very off-putting, very unwelcoming. And Jesus is setting the tone for his kingdom, saying we are going to be inclusive, we are going to be welcoming. And it all comes back to the Lord and the name of the Lord. And having allegiance to him and those who are in his name. So allegiance to Christ is a title because it's the main thrust. In fact, here's the main point. An indispensable lesson for believers is allegiance to Christ. Allegiance to Christ. Number one, not allegiance to us. Number two, everyone either has allegiance to Christ or is against Christ. No one is neutral. And third, serving done to serve Christ's people shows allegiance to Christ. So first, not allegiance to us. Verse 38, the only time in the Gospel of Mark that the Apostle John does something solo, all by himself, all we hear is John is saying something. 
So John started by calling Jesus by the title teacher, which is good and acceptable, but the rest of the content of John's statement is not good and not acceptable. John is reporting to his teacher on behalf of the disciples, because he uses the word we, that they, the disciples, saw someone, someone, not the twelve, otherwise they would use the name. It was someone else outside of the twelve. This other someone was casting out demons in Jesus' name. And the reason that John tried to stop him? John said it was because that someone was not following us. Please note, as you look carefully at verse 38, John actually said, following us. As in following the 12 disciples, rather than following you, as in following the teacher, the rabbi, the Lord Jesus Christ himself, the great teacher. So the allegiance that John wanted was an allegiance to us instead of an allegiance to Christ in the name of the Lord. John valued his membership in this exclusive and authorized circle of just 12 who themselves thought they were the only ones who could cast out demons and wanted to keep it that way. And so you find somebody who's unauthorized casting demons out, need to shut that down. I think the lesson is clear already. We must not be possessive about the ministry of Christ and serving with him and serving him, nor the people of Christ. We can't be possessive about the people of Christ. This other someone is a believer in Christ Jesus, is someone who's doing good. Why would the disciples try to be possessive about that other someone? People don't follow us. They don't belong to us. They must not be restricted in their service in the Lord's name in order for us to gain followers or gain something else. So the ministry of driving out demons is at issue here. It's a prominent feature already in the Gospel of Mark, a prominent feature of the ministry of Jesus himself, a prominent feature of the disciples of Jesus. They did, in fact, have the power. They were authorized to, and they were quite active in casting out demons. The disciples were doing this ministry in an ongoing way. This is the first time we're told that somebody else is doing it, So for the disciples to suddenly encounter a person who's carrying out this practice, actually taking evil spirits out of people, in the name of their rabbi, undermined their special status with Jesus. Wait, if all followers can cast out demons, then there's nothing special about the twelve. The issue of status, the issue of who has the greatest status, is still the wrong-headed focus of the disciples, isn't it? Even though it was addressed in the previous passage, they're still struggling there. And to make matters worse, remember that back in verse 18, if you look back to Mark 9, verse 18, the disciples were not able to drive out a demon. Remember? But here, in verse 38, the disciples see this outsider, this someone Casting out demons, plural, in Jesus' name. And the contrast is doubly distressing to them because the disciples thought that one of the twelve is the greatest. Who's this other someone who's doing what we can't even do, 
Maybe all of us are disqualified, and it's this other someone who's the greatest, which is itself a wrong-headed thought process still. Were the apostles of Jesus focused on what Jesus is focused on? Were the apostles of Jesus showing any care for those poor souls who had been suffering under demon possession, but now were set free? We don't hear anything about that. What about the demon-possessed folks who have been released? Isn't that a cause for rejoicing? The disciples were only thinking about themselves and their own desire for greatness. Thinking leads to action. They were not just thinking about themselves and their road to greatness. They were also taking action about themselves and their road to greatness by attempting to stop this someone from casting out demons from these poor people. Stop it. Whatever they did or said, they were trying to stop Good action. Just pause and make sure you grasp this. They're trying to stop the process of having evil spirits come out of people. They didn't want that to happen anymore. That's how wrong-headed they had become. They took action to stop because it did not serve their own purposes. They were not showing allegiance to Christ. They were showing allegiance to self. Note back to the lessons of the previous passage about greatness. Step one is to die to self. Christians must never make our service into something about ourselves. As soon as we do, we break the third commandment. See the connection there with the Lord's name. We use the Lord's name in vain when we make the service in the name of the Lord about ourselves or the church in the name of the Lord about ourselves, or the denomination, as we'll see in our application, the denomination about ourselves. It's not ours. It's the Lord's. There's an interesting parallel in the Old Testament, Numbers chapter 11, verses 26 to 29, tell of a time when two men, their names were Eldad and Medad, had the Spirit rest upon them, resulting in the privilege of them prophesying words from the Lord to the people in the Lord's name. As soon as that started to happen, someone ran to tell Moses that these two men were prophesying in the camp, assuming that Moses would instantly feel threatened by other people suddenly doing his job. Joshua also expressed allegiance to Moses instead of allegiance to the Lord when Joshua told Moses, you need to stop these two men from prophesying. What Joshua said sounds a lot like what the Apostle John said in our verse 38, doesn't it? It's an Old Testament parallel to this event. Old Testament Joshua had been trying to prevent others from prophesying. New Testament John was trying to prevent others from casting out demons. In the book of Numbers story, the main leader, Moses, then makes a statement that settles the matter. It's a prophetic sigh and yearning where Moses basically said, I long for the day when all of the Lord's people would be prophesying, when all of the Lord's people would have his spirit put upon them. Moses knew it wasn't right for this crowd to have loyalty exclusively to Moses. They were to be loyal to the Lord God. In the same way, then, in our passage here in Mark 9, the main leader, Jesus, makes a statement that settles the matter. Um, He says that allegiance is not to the 12 disciples. Allegiance is to Christ. Which brings us to our second point. 
and verse 39. Everyone either has allegiance to Christ or is against Christ, and no one is neutral. So the question is, can the name of the Lord Jesus be used outside of the group of the 12 disciples in order to perform mighty deeds? Verse 39, now the actual statement from Jesus is this. Do not stop him, for no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. Verse 39. So Jesus makes a statement, settles the matter, and to answer the question, can others outside of the 12 perform these mighty deeds? Yes, they can. I'll allow it. He answers by showing this other man, this someone, cannot be an enemy. He's not against us. The fact that he was able to work a miracle in the name of the Lord Jesus proved that he could not be opposed to Jesus. What the disciples were exposed in doing is forming a clique. They had an inside circle group, but it's a worldly thing to do and must not happen in the kingdom of God, says the king. What unites us is when we all are in the same clique, The click of Christ. Who's on the Lord's side? We all are on the Lord's side. We're all on the same team. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. We love our Baptist brothers and sisters. We love our Methodist and Lutheran and Episcopal brothers and sisters. More about that later. But as Jesus said here in verse 40, the one who is not against us is for us. Moves us to our third point. Serving done to serve Christ's people shows allegiance to Christ. We already talked about service because Jesus had said in verse 35, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. So service is a part of greatness. It's a part of what God expects us to do, to serve, to serve, to serve. But we get it brought back up again here in verse 41 in a surprising way. Verse 41, Jesus said, truly I say to you, when when he says that, it's a special attention being given to this topic. Verily, verily, I say unto you, we used to read in the King James, Truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. Now the Lord's name is named. It's Christ. You belong to Christ. He could have said, if you carry my name. But he just gave the name, or it's technically a title here. Christ. People are to be welcomed. Miracles can be done in the name of the Lord, who is Jesus Christ. In the name of the Lord. It's all lining up now what the third commandment is being fulfilled as. It's in his name that we welcome others. It's in his name that we give cups of water. It's in his name that we cast out demons. And it's in his name that we heal people or preach messages, make meals, and so on. We help Anyone who belongs to Jesus, that we do so in his name, because they belong to Christ. Uh, Paul picks up a similar concept in Galatians 6.10. So then as we have opportunity, let us good to, do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. A special attention ought to be given to anyone who's a Christian. They belong to the household, the singular household of faith. See, our allegiance to Christ is what drives us to serve his people. We serve in his name. Anyone who goes by his name, they're an object for our service. That's why we serve them. It's why we do what we do. You can say it the opposite way, and it's also true. Whenever we serve the people of Christ, we're actually serving Christ himself. And what's interesting is the example that Jesus picked. 
He selected an example here of a famous now, because we've all heard this from the Bible having been in our lives, a cup of water. And nowadays, uh, let's say you go to a ball game, you get thirsty, you want a bottle of water. It might surprise you how much it costs. Uh, you forgot your credit card or wallet, and, or they, they take only uh, online payment. Your friend buys you your bottle of water. You might want to write him a thank you note it costs so much. However, giving a cup of water was such a basic feature in the ancient practices of hospitality in a dry culture that it would require no acknowledgement. It would require no thank you note, and it certainly would not require a reward. It just seems all out of sorts that you give a cup of cold water and you get a reward. There's something surprising about the lesson. The lesson that Jesus is drilling down and giving our attention to is made stronger by his selection of this example, a cup of cold water. Even so small of an act of a person giving one of the disciples of Jesus a cup of water is something that does not go unnoticed by the Lord himself because it's done in his name. The disciples, when they receive that cup of cold water, Jesus notices and he will reward. It's the only time the word reward is even used in the Gospel of Mark. The Lord Jesus has underscored this, highlighted it, and circled it for us. Jesus is giving us an understanding of the importance of the name of the Lord and how instructive it is for all of life. The third out of the top ten rules of the universe is do not use the Lord's name in vain. And the opposite is true. When the Lord's name is upon it, honor it properly. Caring for fellow believers in Christ's name is a crucial baseline, indispensable part of the Christian walk. It's an indispensable lesson. Allegiance to Christ, which looks like everywhere his name is, we'll pay attention, honor, and serve. So we've seen three things, right? Not allegiance to us. Everyone either has allegiance to Christ or is against him. No one's neutral. And serving done to serve Christ's people shows allegiance to Christ. Indispensable lesson. So two concluding applications right along these lines. Number one, Be comforted that we belong to Christ. There's great comfort in this concept, in this passage, the connection to the third commandment, the Lord's name being upon us. We get to go around by the name Christian. That we belong to Christ is a great comfort. It means a lot. It means a lot of things. How do we unpack that in a short amount of time? It, It means, for example, that Christ will take care of us. If someone somewhere puts out effort giving you a bottle of water, Christ will pay them back. Anyone, anywhere who provides care for you in his world, in his universe, he's paying attention and he will pay them back. He's footing the bill for anything that you need in your care. That's part of what it means. Verse 41, if someone gives you a cup of cold water because you belong to Christ, Christ will reward that person for giving you that cup of water. It gives us just the smallest glimpse into all that it must mean that we belong to Christ. That beautiful phrase, belong to Christ. It's as if the third commandment was kind of 
anonymous until now all of a sudden a name is attached to it. In the name of Christ, when you belong to Christ. It's what Paul expresses further as the Spirit carries him along in Romans 14, 7. For none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. Romans 14, 7 to 9. Believers alive today belong to Christ. Believers who died already belong to Christ. That's what he's saying. And the beauty of the death and resurrection of Christ is that it transcends time. It transcends the grave. Noah, the Noah, is alive in Christ, though he's dead from this world. So those who were dead already belong to Christ. Those who are alive now, you and me, belong to Christ. Paul wrote again, 1 Corinthians six nineteen. Even our bodies belong to Christ, for we're temples of the Spirit, and we glorify God in our bodies. He wrote again, 2 Corinthians 10, 7, If anyone is confident that he is Christ's, let him remind himself that just as he is Christ's, so also are we. 2 Corinthians 10, 4. So it's a two-way street in relationships that we belong to Christ, and it's a great comfort in relating to each other across denominational lines. 1 Peter 2, 9, Together we are a people for God's own possession. Belonging to Christ is huge. This concept is so comforting, so helpful. It's such an important aspect of the Christian's mind that the Heidelberg Catechism saw fit to start off their catechism with this as its very first question. What is your only comfort in life and in death? That I am not my own, but belong with body and soul both in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from all the power of the devil. He also preserves me in such a way that without the will of my heavenly Father, not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, all things must work together for my salvation. Therefore, by his Holy Spirit, he also assures me of eternal life and makes me heartily willing and ready from now on to live for him. I belong to him, body and soul. Acts 4.12, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. We belong to Christ. Salvation is ours in the name of Christ Jesus. We belong to him, and that's a foundational comfort for our lives. That's application number one. Be comforted. We belong to Christ. Number two, last one. We need to be welcoming to Christians from other churches and denominations. Think of this. Later, two chapters later, Mark 11, when our Lord is entering Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, you know, famous, we've all studied it before. What is it that the crowd shout out? Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The phrase is in all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. As Jesus is Entering Jerusalem in order to accomplish our redemption, it is said, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And it's important to welcome whoever comes in the name of the Lord, especially if it is the Lord. He comes in his own name, right? 
When we welcome someone who comes in the name of the Lord, we are welcoming the Lord. That link is made for us here. We can't say, well, if it was the Lord, then we would welcome him. But if it's just someone coming in the name of the Lord, then we wouldn't. No! Someone coming in the name of the Lord is as if it's the Lord. That's our insight into the third of the Ten Commandments. The name of the Lord upon a person means we welcome that person as we would welcome the Lord himself. Allegiance to Christ drives this. It means accepting him when he enters Jerusalem on that colt. It means accepting him when he sends a little child into our lives for us to embrace and welcome in his name. Allegiance to Christ means accepting Christ when he sends a Christian adult from another denomination for us to welcome in his name, whether it's one service or whether they join us. Allegiance to Christ means we accept him when he suffers for us on the cross. We accept him when he's dead for us. We accept him when he's buried for us. Allegiance to Christ means we accept him when he's risen for us and ascended for us and coronated for us and glorified for us. Allegiance to Christ means we accept the spirit that he sent upon us and all the people that he sends to us in his name. Now we want to support our denomination and all of our missionaries and all of our church plants all of our ministries and activities, but we want to be biblical in how we do so. We learn the lesson that the disciples learned, allegiance to Christ. Maybe an example in our OPC meetings, our presbytery level meetings, regional, our denominational meetings, national level. We always welcome ministers from other denominations, representing their whole group, to come and give reports to us and updates to us. We stay in contact with them. How are they doing? We can pray for them. We applaud them. We encourage them. We fellowship in the hallways. We see them as the same kingdom, same team. Here's a poem expressing the poor attitude of the disciples that we want to avoid. Believe as I believe, no more, no less, that I am right and no one else, confess. Feel as I feel, think as I think. Eat what I eat and drink but what I drink. Look as I look, do always as I do, then and only then I'll fellowship with you. No! Terrible. What a sad way to be in error. That's exactly what we avoid. It's the mistake of the disciples here. No. Instead, we want to fellowship with any church or denomination that exalts the name of Jesus. We rejoice to call them brothers and sisters. We can't become more restrictive than Moses was in Numbers 11 or more restrictive than the Lord Jesus himself is here in Mark 9. We can't take a different position on this than the Apostle Paul who calls people brothers. And listen to this, Philippians 1.14, And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Philippians 1, 14 to 18. Paul knows the important lesson we've uncovered tonight. The cause of Christ. Christ and his kingdom. Christ and his name. If his kingdom is advanced, we rejoice. Call it Methodist. Call it Episcopal. Whatever you have to call it. If Christ's kingdom is advanced, we rejoice. We need to reach out a hand of brotherhood across 
to all those who love our Lord Jesus and build on the firm foundation of God's infallible word. I'll end with this story. A great preacher during the mass spiritual movement in America called the Great Awakening, Pastor George Whitfield, was in the Methodist movement with another Methodist minister, you might have heard of him, John Wesley. George Whitfield, John Wesley, Methodist movement, they're both in it together. Somehow, sinners being sinners, the Methodist movement became in danger of being divided. There was a Whitfield camp and a Wesley camp. Some would love to follow Wesley, some would follow Whitfield. Whitfield looked at this scene and he decided the best thing to do is to resign. Turn the whole thing over to Pastor John Wesley. Those in the Whitfield camp didn't like that idea. They came to George Whitfield and they said, please stay in leadership, please don't resign. We need you to be the leader. They cautioned him, if you leave, you might be forgotten. George Whitfield replies, my name? Let the name of Whitfield perish, if only the name of Christ be glorified. The sole passion of every faithful believer is to exalt the name of Christ. The way we build the kingdom, the way we connect with other believers across denominations, the way we have churches that are welcoming, big-hearted, and have open arms to anyone is by all of us having sole allegiance to Christ. Romans 15, 7, Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, purify.